0: The unfolding of God's great work of, of rescue and restoration. Um, and if you remember, um, uh, the, the author of Genesis is Moses. Moses is writing to the people of Israel uh, who find themselves either in Egypt, still under uh, the uh, oppression and enslavement by the Egyptians. Or they've just come out of Egypt and they're getting ready to go in the promised land. And even there, they're facing going into uh, a land that has uh, large people, armies, struggles, difficulty. There's fear behind them. If they return to Egypt, there's fearful things ahead of them. And the question for for God's people that, that they would be wrestling with and struggling with is... Is God with us? If they're getting ready to head in the promised land, the question is, is he with us? Is, is, is he going to go with us into Canaan and do what he's called us to do? What he said, he's going to give us this land. How are we, a bunch of people who've just been building things for the past 400 years, how are we going to go in and, and defeat these armies and these fortified cities is God going to be with us here as we move forward if you're in Egypt and even maybe if you're in the on the border of the promised land you you may be wondering where has God been we've been enslaved we've been suffering we've been struggling some of our children have been killed We've been under the cruel oppression of Pharaoh, dominated by this power, not just for a year or two, for hundreds of years. You say we're your people. Where are you? Do you care what's going on in our lives? Have you abandoned us? And if you haven't been with us for these past 400 years, how can we have any hope or confidence that you're going to be with us as we go into the promised land? The questions of God's presence, His faithfulness to be with His people are are on God's people's heart. And so, uh, this this passage this morning... um, Written initially to that group of people, God also has for us this morning who may very well and do struggle with those same questions in the midst of the difficulties that we face, transitions that happen, moving to new places, encountering uh, struggle, oppression from other people. We may wonder, in the midst of the difficult things that we face, that we've experienced in the past, maybe that we see coming up in the horizon, this question is also on our mind. God, where have you been? Are you with us? Will you be with us? So, we look to chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, hopeful that as this passage would have instructed God's people and encouraged them, then it will do the same for us, God's people. Now, so if you would look with me at uh, chapter thirty-nine of the book of Genesis, you'll find that on page thirty-three. If you want to follow along in one of the uh, Bibles there in uh, in front of you, uh, that's in the in the seats there, and we're going to look at the the whole chapter this morning. Remember, previous to this. Uh, Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, uh, was sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, we we took uh, a brief Moses took us on a brief time away from that last chapter as we looked at Judah, who will come into play later on. Now we're we as he's jumped out to look at that, we're we're coming back in and picking back up on, on what's going on with Joseph. Uh, the thing that we looked at last week with Judah probably happened over the course of 20 to 30 years. Um, so this part with Joseph is picking back up right at the beginning of, uh, of probably the time when Judah was getting married, if you're keeping a, uh, a timeline going in your in your head. So let's pick up here at, at verse 1 of chapter chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar... An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Yahweh was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is he is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that, she had, that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But. Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that You would uh, apply Your living and active Word to the hearts of Your people. Change us. Shape us. Move our dependency more and more to King Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, uh, I don't know if you, you noticed or not, but as we... As we look at, at this, this passage, it, it's kind of bookended by these, these two statements. Where Moses is, is making this statement, uh, beginning in, in chapter 2, Yahweh was with Joseph. God caused whatever He did to succeed. Potiphar saw that Yahweh was with Joseph. Then at the end, when Joseph is in in prison, Moses makes the same comment again down in verse 21 and following. But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. talks about all that was in Joseph's charge. And then again, it says that this was happening because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made to succeed. It, It seems that what Moses is doing by by framing this story with those two statements, is that He wants us to understand the the interpretive grid, the way that we are to understand everything that's going on in this account, not just here with Joseph, but we're actually going to see everything that happens from now through the end of the book. And we may even say all of Scripture, but specifically here, we need to understand what's going on in this passage based on that. That God is with Joseph. Everything that happens in this passage happens because God is with Joseph. Everything that's going to happen as we move forward through the rest of the book will unfold because God is with Joseph. God is with his people. Uh, that that's important. That's significant. Uh, Joseph understands that. We'll actually touch on this later, but did you notice that in in verse 3, it says, his master saw that Yahweh was with him. Now, how in the world is is Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt, going to know about, remember, when we see the capital L-O-R-D, that's a covenant personal name of God given to his people. How's Potiphar going to know about this Personal covenant God of the Hebrews, unless the Hebrew in his midst has been telling him about his God, that his God is with him. So Joseph understands this. We'll touch on that later. But think about it: what if the, the no, Moses has given us insight so that we, as the readers, understand and know God's with Joseph; He's with His people. But what if, what if that weren't the case? What if Joseph wasn't confident of that? What if he didn't know it? What if we didn't interpret this passage or our own lives that way? Look, look back over what, what has occurred with Joseph and what, what would have been going through his mind if this wasn't what was securing his heart. Th- think about it. The, the, the passage starts off in verse 1 and 2. Joseph is now down in Egypt. Egypt. He's been sold into slavery, sent away from his family, rejected by his brothers. And now he's in this foreign land. I didn't deserve this. What's going on, God? Where are you? My brothers rejected me. My family rejected me. Have you rejected me? I thought I didn't do anything wrong. What's happened? Where are you? Why is this going on in my life? But then this dream you gave me, though, you've you've communicated that things are going to happen, but it doesn't look like this is happening. Where are you? He he gets to Egypt. He finds himself in Potiphar's house. He's serving as a household slave, which would have been significant, like in the social ranking of slaves. He's not out doing manual labor, sweating in the Egyptian sun. So he's actually in a a a better place. So maybe he begins to think, oh whoa, look at these circumstances. Things that are seeming to, to turn around. Maybe maybe God hasn't abandoned me after all. And and as he begins to to rise in prominence within Pharaoh's and Potiphar's house, remember we saw that he gained status. He gained responsibility. He gained favor. Maybe we begin to think, well, I've been working hard. Maybe God's taken notice of that. Maybe now God is pleased with me and now he's back with me. And now I'm going to succeed because of how God is seeing. I'm favored. I'm getting responsibility. Things are not as bad for me. I'm still a slave. But look at at the privilege I have now. Thank You, God. Thank You that You are with me. But then things change again. His circumstances. The situation. Potiphar's wife begins to apply this pressure. Tempting. Pursuing. What's going on, God? Why is, why is this happening? Things are going so well. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? About me? Are you you busy? Have I done something wrong? Why is this now coming and entering into my life? And not just that. Look at what would happen as he begins to strive to live a godly life, resisting this temptation, communicating to Potiphar's wife, no, I'm not going to sin against you. And day after day after day, he resists this temptation and he finds himself falsely imprisoned. What's up, God? Why is this happening? I've been obeying you. I've been doing what I thought you wanted me to do, and now I find myself in prison? Where are you? Have I not pleased you? Where are you? Now he finds himself back in prison. Has God abandoned him? Has he turned his back on him? But then we begin to see things begin to turn around in the prison based on the circumstances if we're just looking at it from the inside he begins to rise to prominence get some responsibility gain some favor within the prison system what's he thinking then what kind of game are you playing with me god am i now back in your favor what what have i what have i done to 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 convince you to do this again. I'm having a hard time figuring it out. Because sometimes it seems like you're on my side and you're helping me out. And other times it seems like I have no reason to know why or how things get tough again. Now they're better. I don't know if I really want to trust you. Are you manipulating me? How much longer is this favor going to last? How much longer are you going to be with me until you just change your mind again and you're gone? How scary... Is it to be in a relationship like that? How uncomfortable. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? The friends? Family? How difficult is that? What if that is the way God operates? Do you ever live with that thought? As you look at your circumstances, as you experience hardship and difficulty, transition, are you you ever, if we're thinking about it like the Egyptians or like our hearts go, wondering, it doesn't seem like God's with me. What have I done? Based on looking at my circumstances, it seems like He's left me high and dry and I'm struggling. Is it based on my performance? Have I not done something right? Am I not rubbing the lamp the right way? Saying the right words when I pray? You see, if we remove the interpretive grid, the confidence that we have that God is with His people, we're left to evaluating our circumstances. And as things change, we have to figure out what have I done to upset God, and what do I need to do to make it right so that it will do good things and be present in my life again? But what this passage is pointing and calling us to is that the confidence that God's people have is that God is with them. That's how we need to interpret our lives and the circumstances which we're, we're going through we're not to look at the circumstances we face, but look at God's covenant promises to root us, to ground us, to give us confidence and security amidst these changing circumstances that we face. Remember back these promises that God's given. Back in chapter 17, when God was first calling Abraham. And several years after that in 17, when He he entered in and gave Abraham these covenant promises, one of the promises that He gave to Abraham in chapter 17 was uh, was this. Um, In verses 7 and 8, I will establish My covenant between Me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring. And he reiterates again, I will be their God. God is promising to be not just with Abraham, but with all of his offspring, that they will be his special people and he will be their God. Later on, it's not just ends with Abraham, but God's faithful to his promises. And... and with Isaac God reiterates this to Isaac in in chapter 26. He says this. In verse 24. Yahweh appeared to him the same night and said, "I am the God of Abraham your father. Do not fear, for I am with you." And will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Then in verse 28, God reminds and says this again, as he's talking about his covenant, as he's talking about how he relates to his people, he says this to Jacob in verse 15 of chapter 28 Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. It seems that what is true of this covenant making and keeping God is when he unites himself with a people, he's promised them, I'm going to be with you. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Now, what do we see here? Moses is telling us over and over in this passage, God is also with Joseph. God is with his people. It's this special covenant relationship. You see, God isn't with everyone in this way. Now, we talk about God being everywhere and God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But this with you that God is talking about is is God's special covenant presence. His not just generic God everywhere, but a personal presence with his people where He is working in and among them to experience that restored relationship and to equip and change them so that they're able to fulfill those promises and to carry out and fulfill His mission. God's actually pointing them back to His being with Adam and Eve. Remember, when God first created Adam and Eve, The presence and fellowship and relationship they experienced with God. Walking with Him in the garden. No shame. Just present with Him, enjoying Him. What happened with their sin? It broke it. That fellowship, that relationship isn't there. Although God was still everywhere in the world, that special relationship was broken. Now what we're seeing is God is calling a people to Himself to restore that relationship and to be ambassadors and reflectors of that within the world. So it's no surprise that God says specifically to his people, I am with you. I'm with you to work in and through you to equip you and strengthen you to change you so that my promises will be fulfilled so that my work in the world will go forward. Now, That means it's it's not what God's saying is, I'm not with you to keep you from hardship and difficulty. I'm not with you in such a way that that it won't sometimes be tough. My promise to be with you doesn't mean that I might not sometimes lead you into difficult and troubling situations. But it does mean that when you go into these difficult and troubling situations, I'm going to be there. Did you notice It starts in the the beginning. In verse 2. After we see in verse 1, Joseph was brought down where? To Egypt. Who was he bought by? An Egyptian. So Joseph finds himself in Egypt, the slave of an Egyptian master. And the next thing in the story in verse 2 is, and God was with him. So if you're Israel, you're hearing this, that that must mean that when when we were brought to Egypt and we found ourselves enslaved to an Egyptian master, that God hasn't abandoned us. He's still present with us working in us and through us, loving us, caring for us. But but what happens in the middle here? I, I can maybe see it when Joseph is succeeding and he's thriving in Potiphar's house. If he's thriving in the prison, yeah, God's with him. That makes sense. To succeed, to flourish. A successful Hebrew slave, brings such glory to God. Look how great a manager he is. Look how awesome he's doing his job. But do you notice it never says, and God left Joseph. That's never in this passage. That means that even when Joseph is being tempted, that's even when Joseph is battling against sin that God's present with him. That even means when Joseph is wrongly convicted for something that he didn't do and sent to prison, God's with him. In in fact, in Psalm 105, looking back on the psalm is written to praise God for His mighty works on behalf of His people. It it encounter the psalmist writes about this particular. Uh, event in the life of God's people, and specifically with Joseph, and it it says it says this in oh, I lost my my spot in verse sixteen through nineteen when he summoned a famine on the land. This is jumping forward a little bit. We'll catch up on this later. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of Yahweh tested him. God was the one who brought Joseph to Egypt. God is the one who who is leading and actually brings Joseph into prison. Until what Joseph had said, the dream that God had gave him came to pass. In the meantime, through all that he's going, God is testing Joseph. That means God's present in the midst of this temptation, this false imprisonment, and the suffering Joseph's going through. Testing. It doesn't mean that God's trying to manipulate or mess with Joseph. We've talked about this before. When Scripture speaks of testing, it's using this concept and this idea of purification, of of how impurities were heated up, and the fire is increased, and as the heat builds up, and these, these metals begin to melt down, the impurities float to the top. And they're scraped off and they're heated up again and the impurities float up and they're scraped off. It's the process of this heating, this trying by fire that purifies, proves the purity of the metal. What God is doing here, he's with Joseph, with him to equip and change him so that he might fulfill God's purposes so that God's kingdom might come in the world. But part of that means it's got to come in Joseph. The kingdom's got to bear fruit and be revealed within him. God is using this place and what Joseph is going through. God is actually bringing him into it and through it. Because God is with him. God is the one who is bringing these trials in Joseph's life to change and equip him so that Joseph will be in a place to rely in more dependency, and trust in God because of what God has in store moving forward. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand why would God take us into hard and difficult times? We know we want to be with God and God to be with us, but this idea of hardship and of difficulty and experiencing is tough. We get a lot of Boo-boos in our house. People are falling and scraping knees and cutting fingers and toes all the time. And uh, Beckett is one who, as soon as he gets a, a, a boo-boo, he immediately wants a Band-Aid. Uh, and he knows the whole process now uh, that I get out the hydrogen peroxide and I get out the Neosporin and I get out the Band-Aid. And that process hurts sometimes, but he knows that in order for it to be made better, it's going to have to hurt for a little while. One time he fell and, and cut his eye on the corner of a toy box and it split it right open, right on the, on his eyebrow. And we had to go to the, the emergency room and I knew this was going to hurt. They didn't numb him. They gave him a teddy bear to hold And they wrapped him up in a blanket really tight. And I was there with him. And I said, buddy, I know this is going to hurt, but they got to do it to make your eye feel better and for it to heal. And he's screaming and he's crying. Why are you doing this to me? What's going on? Why am I doing it? Why am I putting my son through this torture? That they would restrain him and inflict pain on him. Because he needs it. He needs it to be healed. He needs it to be better. And if I'm not taking him through this pain, he won't heal properly. That's what God's doing here. And God doesn't just do this in Joseph's life. What have we seen? This is how God is present with His people. This is what He's doing. If Abraham can have this confidence, if Isaac can have this confidence, if Jacob can have this confidence, If Joseph can have this confidence, then you and I who have looked to Jesus, the promised one that the Scriptures tell us when we look in faith to Christ, we are brought into God's family. And even think about the foretelling of Jesus' coming. One of the names that He was going to be told, spoken of, was Emmanuel, God with us. The way that I'm coming to you to be present with you is by actually entering into your world, entering into your brokenness, entering into your pain so that I might heal you, so that I might restore you. And when you look to me, you're brought into my family. And my promise is that I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I will never go away. There's nothing, absolutely nothing in this world that will separate you from my love and from my presence, even if you don't see me. Jesus even told His disciples, i got to go away. It's better for you, but I'm sending the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God dwelling in you and among you as people. This promise is ours. God is with you. It doesn't matter how great things are going in your life. Genesis 39 says God is with you. It doesn't matter how difficult and hard things are right now? The pain, the transition, the struggles, the feeling of abandonment, as if you don't have anyone around. What's going on? You may wonder, is God here? Has He abandoned me? Has He left me? The answer from Genesis 39 is no. I am with you. I am with you in the midst of this. And it may be hard, and it may be difficult, but you must trust Me. Because I am your faithful covenant God who is showing you steadfast love. In fact, that's what God says uh, is true at the end of this chapter in verse 21. But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. That's a, a common term that's used in the Old Testament to describe God's covenant faithfulness to His people. I'm with you. I love you. And that may mean that I take you through difficult things because I'm shaping and using you to bring about my kingdom and my purposes. Well, if that's, if that's true, that our circumstances shouldn't be what, what guides us in our interpretation of God's presence with us if it should be God's covenant faithfulness, His covenant love, His promises, and that we can have that confidence as we're looking in faith to Jesus then that means that as God is working through us to fulfill this calling He has on us, then the circumstances that we experience don't change our calling. We still have the same calling and the same purposes. Do you, do you notice that in this, in this passage? Look in, look in verse uh, verse 5. From the time that he made him, Joseph, overseer in his house and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had in house and field. Sound familiar? You remember God's promises to Abraham? I'm going to bless you so that what? You will be a blessing. That's the way I'm going to use you in bringing out my covenant promises in this world. I'm going to bless you for the sake of the world. Joseph comes he's abandoned. He's sold into slavery. He's a slave in Potiphar's house but what's happening? He's still fulfilling the calling that God has on his life. God's blessing Joseph and Joseph is being a blessing to the Egyptians. To what will later be the enemies of God's people. Joseph, through his his deeds, through his his life, through what he's doing in Potiphar's house, he's a blessing to the Egyptians. That it's not just indeed that he's a a blessing to the Egyptians. He's he's also a a blessing through through his words. We touched on this at the beginning. In verse 3, his master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How in the world... Does Potiphar know about this covenant making and keeping God unless Joseph speaks and tells and communicates to Potiphar who the God is that he serves, who the God is that brought him to Egypt, who the God is that is with him. And at Potiphar's house is being blessed, not because of how great Joseph is, because of how good and faithful God is. That's my calling. That's your calling. Whether things are going well and we're in great places of abundance and uh, and success and it looks like things are great or if we find ourselves in difficult places like enslavement or what about in times of trial and temptation? Remember, our calling to be a blessing is to reflect God's character in the world. you notice how Joseph does that? as an ambassador of God's character in the midst of this temptation and this struggle. Do you remember, do you notice what he said to to Potiphar's wife as she's tempting him? In verse eight and following, it says, but he refused. and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here, even in the midst of this this struggle and this difficult situation, the prolonged over time temptation and attack and seeking to lure and manipulate and entrap Joseph, he continues to resist, to pursue holiness and faithfulness, and to communicate through his character and the way that he lives in the world, I'm living this way because a holy and righteous God has claim on me, and I'm here to represent Him in this world. How was Joseph able to do that? The only way he's able to do that in this situation is wow. What's the interpretive grid? Because God is with him. Joseph succeeds in battling this temptation not because he's got uh, a stubborn iron will, but because God is with him. He's one of God's people and God is at work in his life. You see, it's, it's actually... This understanding and us grasping this concept of God's covenant faithfulness with his people. That's what it is that enables and empowers us to carry out what it is we're to do to live righteous lives in this world because of the mercy and grace that God has extended to us because he's promised to be with us. That is how we have the confidence, the power, the security, the hope to endure in difficult situations. To battle and fight and resist temptation. Why? Because God has died for me. He's died for my sin. And He's placed me here to, to demonstrate his, his character in the world. To resist. To live a holy and righteous life that we might demonstrate His name. To live in such a way that we're a blessing to the nations. Why? Because the Creator of all things in His mercy has said, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people and I'm going to use you. It's a privilege for us to then be brought into what it is that God is doing here. And in a small way in this story, we're seeing play out God's covenant faithfulness to his people and how he's going to use us in a variety of situations. We're going to need to understand this as we move through the rest of the book. But we got to grasp this as we move through the rest of our lives. Because things aren't guaranteed to be easy. But what we do have is the confidence that God is with us. And regardless of the circumstances, through his presence with us, we're enabled and empowered and motivated to carry out our calling. Um, so I'm, I messed up parenting this week, which is not a new thing. It, it happens on a, a rather frequent cycle. Uh, But Adelaide had read a book that she'd checked out of the library about some kids who, through some magic mirror, find themselves in a fairy tale world. And there's 20 of these books or something. Well, she'd read a couple of them, but none of them were scary until this one. And this one had a a witch in it. And so uh, she had read the book earlier in the day, and it, it was bedtime, and sometimes we have struggles with getting people not in bed, but staying in bed. And so... Sometimes I'm wondering, all right, are these, are these excuses? Like, what's going on? Like, what's happening here? So she calls out and says, I'm scared. I don't want to stay in bed. Can I come downstairs with you? And I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't believe her. So instead of not, not believing her, I try to rationalize with her about how foolish it is to, to think about w- witches. They're not real. It's make-believe. Then I start thinking, all right, well, what about every other witch story you've ever read? What happens? Well, oh, they, they lose in the end. Oh, well, think about that. You know, and Jesus is more powerful than witches and all of this. And I'm like, I got to go downstairs. If you come downstairs, you're going to stay awake. But I'm here. I'm with you. Jesus is with you. I'm just going to be downstairs. Finally, she comes. Uh, I tell her, uh, I'll come back up in a little bit. She starts calling out, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm like, I'll be back up in a little bit. Daddy, daddy, I'm scared. I'll be back up. Daddy, daddy, I'm scared. I'll be back up. Then finally, I was like, just come down here. So she comes down. She sits on my lap for a while. And then I start thinking. You know what she wants? She wants the presence of her dad. So I take her back upstairs. I lay her in bed. And I sit down there on the floor beside her bed goes, oh, daddy, do you need a pillow? <laughs> and I sit there. And in five minutes, she's asleep. Why? She's able to carry out her calling to go to bed and sleep because of her confidence of knowing that her daddy is present with her, even though the circumstances are ones that are shaped and informed by fear. That's you and me. You have a better dad than I am to my children. We have a confident and loving God who is with us. That is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us as your people. That you are with us. Help us to know and be reassured and confident of Your loving faithfulness, Your covenant promises, Your steadfast love to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.